0: Hello and welcome to the NumLock Podcast. I am Walt Hickey. Joining me this week is Eric Vilas Boas. He is an editor at Vulture who covers animation and streaming. And this week he's joining us to talk all about some controversy that's going on in the world of animation, specifically about a new Richard Linklater movie called Apollo 10 and a half that was barred from consideration by the Academy uh, for the Oscars, uh, basically about how rotoscoping was involved in the production. That's a bit of a complicated story. We'll get into it in a bit, but Eric is one of the smartest dudes that I know when talking about the field of animation and, and just kind of of following all these really fascinating changes that are going on in it whether it's through technology or whether it's through the streaming environment and so this week we dive right in um, thank you so much for listening uh and i hope you enjoy yeah. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, you wrote a really fascinating story about a new film that's kind of coming out from director Richard Linklater. Um, before we kind of dive into like the whole concept of rotoscoping and whatnot, do you want to tell folks a little about your history with animation? Uh, you know, you're currently at Vulture. You've got a long history of working in this space. Uh, what got you interested in the topic, and, and where have folks been able to find you before?
1: Yeah, so I've I've been interested in this. Uh, sort of area of coverage for a long time. Um, I w- always wanted to be like an entertainment journalist. I always kind of like wanted to angle my career in that direction. And uh, we, a, few, a buddy of mine and I kind of like looked around at the space uh, of sort of magazine journalism a few years ago. And we noticed like, oh, like there's no, there's no like the New Yorker for animation coverage, right? Like no one covers... No one covers cartoons um, with what we thought was like a a level of both uh, consistency and sort of seriousness. So we we started this website called The Dot and Line, um, based off of a, an iconic like Chuck Jones short cartoon uh, that was in 2016. Uh, my friend and I, John Maher, started that site, and so we that site was sort of just like you know our way of covering. Uh, Animation from a fan perspective and like a magazine-y perspective, a bloggy perspective, uh and also covering the like the business uh from this through the same lens, right? Uh we never made any money. The Dot and Line like shut down, you know, very uh, uh we gave it a Viking funeral in 2020, <laughs> in the the beginning of the pandemic. Um, you know, very lovingly. It was it was all good. Uh but that was sort of my journey journey, right? Like I kind of started in journalism. I always really loved cartoons and animation. Uh, I wanted to cover it more deeply and kind of give it, make sure that it had a place, right, in like the media ecosystem that I was working in. Um, and and yeah, like and then and like these days, like I sort of I've sort of parlayed that experience into writing about animation for uh, for Vulture, for uh, for Thrillist in the past, for uh, uh, for Hyperallergic, like for for some of these other places that I've worked at for Observer. Um, and now I'm currently at Vulture where I edit, I edit most of our streaming coverage and then also, uh, work on the occasional, uh, animation and cartoons piece, which, which brings me to, to this topic today.
0: Yeah. And I I just want to make sure that we got that set up in because this idea that you've always kind of been reporting on of like how there's tension in animation, how there's not a lot of people who treat it seriously, that there's, uh, you know, a tremendous amount of effort and art that goes into it, but that mainstream sources uh, oftentimes kind of don't necessarily understand what some of the uh, power and appeal of it is really kind of comes to a head in the story. Do you want to talk a little bit about Apollo 10 and a half and, and kind of how it was made?
1: Yeah, so this is, it definitely, it definitely kind of, it definitely hits a lot of points for me that, you know, uh, some of my interests, but so Apollo 10 and a half is a, a rotoscoped movie directed by Richard Linklater, you know, a very well-regarded um, indie filmmaker who has done both live-action movies like uh, Scanner Darkly and Waking Life, or I'm sorry, uh, animated movies like Scanner Darkly and Waking Life, as well as like live-action movies like um, the Before Trilogy and Dazed and Confused, and uh, uh, a few other things that you might have seen before. Um, you know R- Apollo ten and a half is basically his latest animated effort um and it was dire- it was it was made by a large team of around two hundred animators um through a studio called Minnow Mountain and another studio that it, whose name I'm blanking on. um Minnow Mountain is based in Austin, where Austin, Texas, where Richard linklater, I think is also based. Um, and so like you know Apollo ten and a half is essentially like a Uh, like a coming of age, like fantasy story about a kid who gets to uh, sort of experience, uh, you know, what it is like uh, uh, essentially sitting in like a NASA space mission, right? Like, you know, I think the, the hook of the movie is the hook, the opening hook of the movie is like, oh, like we made the, we made the space capsule too small. And now this like, this like, you know, preteen child like must you know uh, uh be signed up for a NASA mission right and, and it's like a fantasy right like it's it's meant to be kind of um sort of fantastical in a way that uh live action like wouldn't you know Richard link later has talked about this so um so that's all well and good like Apollo 10 and a half was released on Netflix and I think earlier this year like over the summer um uh over the summer it was also submitted for Academy Award consideration for best animated feature. Now, best animated feature is sort of an interesting category, and we can kind of get into why. But long story short, it was the film was rejected from consideration uh, over the summer on the grounds that it, quote, did not meet the definition of animation according to uh, the Academy's, like, animation, like, feature animation committee.
0: And that, that's ticked a lot of folks off because, you know, it, it's animated with a technique used called rotoscoping, which, as you wrote, kind of goes back to some of the earliest days of not just animation, but film period. And so uh, I guess, do you want to kind of talk about what the controversy is there?
1: Yeah, so rotoscoping is like to, to give just a definition, like rotoscoping is essentially like you, you will film something in live action. Uh, and through like a process, like the, the, the tool that was invented was literally called the Rotoscope. And it was invented by this animator, Max Fleischer, who people might know from like, like the Superman cartoons, right? Like these old 1930s Superman cartoons are some of the best uh, cartoons of their kind, like even to this day. Like they're very well respected. So he invented this thing in 1915 called the Rotoscope. What the Rotoscope is is like essentially like a, a multi-plane camera sort of on steroids that allows uh, uh, you to film something in live action. And then to trace the images of what's like what's been filmed, uh, sort of like I- into an animated form, right? Like to trace like the outlines of something, uh, you know, and create create like art out of it. Essentially, um, the Fleischer's use this to the Fri- the Fleischer brothers use this on like a number of their animated cartoons. Um, you know, they they had this series called Out of the Inkwell. Uh, they traced Cab Calloway. Uh, the jazz musician like dancing and and kind of doing uh you know, doing some awesome moves uh you know in you know in some of their cartoons so and the 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 real the the upshot of all this is that it looks really good, right like you know you it's an easy way to sort of to uh capture fluidity and like a certain level of realism without like without like having to to sort of you know, draw every, every single thing from, from nothing, essentially. Um, You know, it's a, it's a technique that's been used for decades upon decades upon decades by not just the Fleischers, but like also animators at Disney, like Snow White was, was, you know, heavily referenced like uh, uh, a, a performer named Marge Belcher. I think her name was, um, you know, using the same techniques or similar techniques you know, and so it's, it's sort of, it's this, you know, the, it goes all the way to like, you know, Ralph Bakshi's uh, 1970s, like Lord of the Rings film famously uses rotoscoping. The, uh it, so you, you can argue one way or another over whether Ralph Bakshi's rotoscoping looks good or not. I think a lot of it looks really good. Lord of the Rings is not like a very good looking movie, but it's interesting, I think. um But so you, you can kind of, you can kind of think through like, you know, there are a lot of people feel a lot of different ways about rotoscoping, right? Like they they kind of, part of the mystique of animation is that something is like artistic and sort of being uh, uh, delivered in front of you in a moving way that makes you, that literally tricks you to think that, you know, these these images that are just like layered on top of each other very, very fast are actually moving. Like that's kind of the point. Um, and I think that it sort of, it takes it takes an element of the mystique out of it or the artistry out of it to hear later on like, Oh, like that was traced or something like that. Right. But the reality is like, this is just a tool. It's just a technique that a lot of animators and a lot of your favorite movies like have actually deployed over the years, like a lot of movies that you might know. So
0: and and so, you know, the the kind of crux here is that the animation, the animated film division of the Academy um, came to the the determination that this wasn't an animated film because it required on rotoscoping as much as it did and it's got a lot of people ticked off for a lot of different reasons. You know, 2D animators obviously have had a hell of a time just continuing their craft. Obviously, this is an animation studio that uses kind of an older style. Um, and and just in general, the 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 category, as you kind of wrote, has been really kind of dominated by like fairly colossal corporate interest for a while. Do you want to kind of talk a little bit about what specifically this, this Tempest is all about?
1: Yeah, so I think that, you know, it's it sort of... I think it's really frustrating to anybody who knows about the history of animation to call a like decades old technique used in animation, not animation. Right. Like, you know, and I think that and so like that's sort of that's sort of one side of that argument. Right. And the uh, another side of this argument is like is, is sort of the the corporate the corporate aspect of the of the specific like animated feature award. Right. Like it's not like. This specific category at the Academy Awards is not like uh, like Best Picture, which has been around for forever. It's not like it's not as clear cut as I think, like uh, 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 you know, Best Actor, Best Actress, or something like that. Like Best Animated Feature is sort of it's been around since I think like the year two thousand one, and you know, so it's it's newer. And ever since two thousand one or the first year that it that it came out. Um, it's always been largely dominated by either three D CGI movies, um, and or films that are like are owned or or have been distributed by Disney Pixar. So, like you know, uh, to pull out some examples, like you know, I think Shrek won. I think Shrek won the first year. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Last year, Encanto won. If I am not mistaken.
0: I believe you. I believe that's right. Yeah, that's that's. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I don't have the history in front of me, but you know, it's sort of like every year, it's sort of an ongoing joke in the animation community. Like, oh, like another, you know, another another uh, uh, another CGI movie is going to win, right? Like, yeah. and it's very rare that it's very rare that a that a that number one a two D film wins. Even more rare, I think, than that a a a like a, a film that's not owned by. Like a large mega conglomerate, like either Disney or DreamWorks wins. Yeah, so they've the, all been
0: Disney, Pixar, DreamWorks, with the exception of one Arvin picture, and then um, Princess Bone. Oh no, no, Spirited Away. Sorry.
1: Yeah, Spirited um, Away. So like two two independent studios yeah. uh, have won over the past twenty years, which is like you know, uh, uh, I personally don't like those numbers. Um, you know, other a lot of a lot of folks can say can say otherwise, but like, and then there's this other side of the argument. And I think uh, Phil, the 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 animator Phil Lord kind of like got into this a little bit uh, when he tweeted last year, oh, and yeah. a lot of a lot of people tweeted right, like you know the the sort of understanding, the, the larger cultural understanding of the animated feature category is that it's made for children, that animation is just for kids, and that uh, uh, this is like a this is like a juvenile pursuit, you know, and and I think that like the um, the presenters at last year's Academy Awards kind of like leaned into that, right? Like you it was know, really
0: patronizing, if I recall.
1: Yeah, it was like the the tone of that is very patronizing. It, it sort of, you know, you look at you look at the animator uh, Richard Williams who who passed away a, a few years ago. You know, this is a person who is sort of known for like a hyper realistic, very very fluid animated style. Like he he's the reason that Who Framed Roger Rabbit like looks as good as it does because he. Yeah. Sort of impressed upon his animators like you have to make sure the eye lines like match up between the the cartoon characters and the the actors on stage um no you you like look at like artists on sort of on on his level or on like a miyazaki level or like you know to to go back even further like a like a chuck jones level and to say that they are making stuff that's only for kids is is I, uh, you know, I, if it were me, if, if I were in their shoes, I would find it very offensive. I would find it very like, I'd find it very patronizing. Yeah. Like that's the word.
0: Yeah. It's again, it's an interesting category for a lot of reasons because it seems like I looked at it last year because I'm obsessed with the Oscars and it's, you know, Pixar usually gets a bid. Disney usually gets a bid. DreamWorks usually gets a bid. One of the other biggies gets a bid and then they'll usually get like an international feature Or one of like the Ghibli, uh, like Artman worlds, right? And it's just, it's weird that, you know, there's clearly a degree uh, that the animators within the division have enough clout to like get those nominees for those international features and, and those like smaller indie features. But like, it does seem that the branch is dominated by the kind of folks who just want to give it to Pixar, Disney or DreamWorks.
1: Yeah. Like that's, that's sort of what the numbers seem to tell us, right? Like that's, that's the, that's the story the numbers seem to tell us. Um, and the, I think one of the frustrations, um, and uh, you know, I understand why it sort of has to be this way. Uh, you don't want like people, you want to, you don't want to know like how these voting bodies kind of like, you you do want to know how you, you do want to know how these voting bodies work, but like it, it sort of, it raises a, a wide variety of complications, yeah. uh, you know, um, if we knew how exactly how everybody voted. Um, but a lot of this stuff happens in a very opaque way, right? Like the, uh, you know, Richard Linklater in my story, when I interviewed him for, for this Apollo 10 and a half thing, like, you know, he sort of, like he described, like his words, I think was like, we really just don't know, like who who's like behind, you know, who's behind uh, this decision-making, you know? And so, and like the only way that he can, uh, uh, sort of conceive of it is that like oh they must have something against rotoscoping or against us as like the you know us speaking for his like sort of independent independent companies that he works with the independent animators that he works with um, you know it's sort of like you know it to to, ha- to him to to them it feels like a David and Goliath situation where you know all these uh, uh, you know I'm sure it, you know uh, fil- a film like like the latest Disney Pixar thing that has, you know, is made for, you know, 150 or $200 million or whatever it is, like they would probably have no, no trouble getting nominated for anything for, you know, for, for making, uh you know, a, you know, clearing through any of the rules that are stipulated um, this film, which is made for $20 million and is sort of, you know, there's like a, there's definitely like an outsider, uh uh you know, feeling there on the part of him and uh, his animators, you know, they're, they're sort of running into trouble.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, again, it's, it's a challenging category. Cause again, like the work is really uh, in, like fairly incredible coming out of some even the larger houses, not to diminish any of that.
1: It is no. just weird. Like, oh, yeah. that's, that's the thing too, like no value judgment or it's not an artistic judgment on the artistry of a film like Encanto or Turning Red, which are, stunning, beautiful animated movies. Like I I cried during Encanto, like, you know, not, you know, not quite like I'd cried in any movie that year um, that it came out. But I think the, the, the tension is really like, Oh, like why, why is animation only this? Like, you know, I think that's sort of the question that, you know, is on, is on some of these other, these other animators minds and, and and on Linklater's mind
0: it's almost entirely 3D animated stuff. Again, like I'm a Leica stan and it's just kind of shocking to me that, you know, they occasionally get the nominations, but it's, it's a little evident that the body is just going to be predisposed towards 3D computer animated graphic stuff instead of the 2D stuff, instead of the anime stuff, instead of the, you know, the the rotoscoping and stop motion stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Leica is a perfect example, right? Like another, just like everything that they put out is amazing. It just like looks stunning. and it's it feels it feels like they can't, you know, they, they, if they get an animation, or I'm sorry, if they get a nomination, it's a good year.
0: Oh, coming off of that, uh, you know, you also kind of cover a lot about just the business of animation and the, and the streaming, you know, has really fundamentally changed a lot of that whether it's Crunchyroll merging with Funimation, whether it's all these streaming services, you know, jumping directly into the world of animation and then some of them getting cold feet and then getting the hell out. Uh, you know, what's it, it's it been an interesting couple of years for the business itself. Do you maybe want to talk a little bit about streaming and how that's kind of changed some of the math for animated stuff or, and, and just how things have changed gradually?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you asked about that because, you know, we're in this moment right now, like, like the... The sense, the sense in sort of the the animated world that I've that I've sort of gotten, and certainly as someone who just covers it, is that like you know this this like idea that animation and animators like are playing second fiddle constantly to the world of live action, right? Like it shouldn't really be that way. Uh, these movies and shows like take a lot of effort to produce, and they connect with uh, you know they. The, they do connect with kids and with uh, adults in like very very profound ways, um, but like it, we're in this moment where it's like oh like you have this like corner or the side of the entertainment industry that is doing all this stuff, but is it feels like it's not getting recognized. And then with even within that side of the entertainment industry, you have sort of these these like aspects of it that are like anything else, right? Like the the it feels like the the big dogs are running the show. Yeah. like the indie animators are kind of like doing their own thing, doing something different, but then they're, you know, maybe they're being shut out of awards or something like that. Um, or rewards consideration or something like that. Um, the same is happening on like a macro level, right? Like on, on like the, you know, the, in terms of what I've been covering, like, you know, the, the sort of to take the streaming awards for example, um, you know, part of the larger sort of capitalist, uh, 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 you know, world in which we operate, but like, you know for example like Warner Brothers Discovery, uh, they the company removed, you know, I think like 36 titles off of HBO Max, like without warning basically, uh over the summer, you know, in the process like as they were trying to sort of uh uh you know carve down on overhead and and sort of and get you know you know slash three billion dollars worth of debt um after the mer- which the merged company had had inherited um a big part of that was animated shows, right? Like a lot of animated shows were were sort of in that mix. And like, you know, a lot of them, like a few of them, like um, um, Infinity Train, for example, an amazing show, like an, a brilliant genius show, like very not very not of the same mold as like other other programming like it. Um, you know, Infinity Train was spiked from the service and all their social media accounts were, were eliminated. I think the music on like iTunes or, or Apple Music was removed. Uh, this all happened within like a span of like a few days to a week or whatever. And like, and then all of a sudden, and it's not like, I don't, I don't know the status of like infinity trains, like physical media, but like it, it, the, the sense of it was that this show had been disappeared off the internet, right? Like completely disappeared. And as a fan, you're kind of like, what the fuck? (laughs) Right? Like, (laughs) like how? How many times am I allowed to swear on this show? Like, you know, as a fan, you're like, you know, what what just happened here? Um, you know, and I, you know, offhandedly, I like talked to some of the creators that like I knew, you know, that had, you know, that I've used the sources before. Not the creators, but people who, who who worked on the show, um, and they're also just like confused. Like, what's going on? Like, you know, like, how, like do we even know like how like what's happening? Like, if it will ever be sort of like. You know, I think that they were all blindsided. Like the the creator of the show, Owen Dennis, like wrote a very good, uh, Substack post on that exact thing. Like you know that that feeling of blindsidedness, um, and so like you've got all these things kind of going on, and like it's not helping, right? Like it's not helping the animators or people who are fans of animation, uh, to feel you know like like the you know it's it doesn't help them that they that. These, you know, some movies are being treated with seemingly like a different uh, set of rules as other movies. You know, debatable on whether those rules like should exist or not, as as they pertain to the Academy Awards for art. Um, yeah. I like think debatable. Uh, uh, it feels like they're being devalued by some of these like large companies that own uh, some of the the titles that they worked on, either to to slash them to like you know get uh, you know just offload debt or to, you know, eliminate them entirely for no, for no reason, like, right? Like, it it seems like it's just like, it seems like the reason is money, which doesn't, to me, doesn't really seem like a good reason at all. Like, you know, um, uh, uh, and then at the same time, like, you know, everyone, you know, when, when we get to something like the Academy Awards and the award is presented, like, are we then going to be treated to some like hacky, like line from, you know, the, you know, the the last year's best supporting actress or whatever saying like, oh, animation, like animation is so good for kids. It's so great for, you know, to watch when you grow up and, you know, it's like, and it's like, this is what you do, you know, you know, when you're, when you're a child and like that sense of wonder or whatever. It's like, I don't know, man. Like if you're like, if you're listening, if, if all this stuff is happening to you, and you're an animator, and you're already under—you're already like baseline underpaid, right? Like because yeah. like everybody's underpaid in Hollywood, um, or anywhere in media. Uh, your work—you learn that your work is being kind of devalued, you know, by the company you work for. You learn that like oh, like actually the uh one of the one of the big like an opportunity that I have to go on to go on stage and accept like this award is like being seen as like this like juvenile thing, like this purely juvenile pursuit um that only appeals to children uh and then at the end of the day like your your company is like you know or or again like we're speaking hypotheticals for all of this but like the the multinational company worth billions upon billions of dollars that happens to have billions upon billions of debt dollars in debt like you know like t- essentially disappears your your cartoon from the service that it was it was running on i think like it's it, i would be demoralized i'd be very demoralized <laughs>
0: Demoralizes is a really good word because again, like it's also fascinating because it's objectively wrong. Like, like you know, yeah. adult animation, uh, you know, or that it's it's really hit its stride very recently. Demand is only going up. Um oh, yeah. so- like I alluded to like country, country role earlier, but again, like, you know, we've seen demand for anime go through the roof. It's it just like, it's it seems like it's very much a dated mentality that animated programming is exclusively for kids. It is just a separate art form in a way. and And, you know, you've written a lot about, in particular about how, you know, this is really like creatively, we've been in a bit of a renaissance when it comes to particularly what one can do with animation and who animation can be for.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think like, like I don't know, I, the, some of the some of the best action filmmaking that I have ever seen has come from Gendi yeah. Uh you know, director uh, director and creator of uh, Primal and Samurai Jack and Dexter's Laboratory, right? Like he, yeah. like I I interviewed him a few years ago and like I can't remember the exact quote. I would love like, I gotta I gotta like pull it up and pull it up in my notes, but like he basically talks about like how for him like you know I I think I asked him like. Something on the level of like, you know, like, would you want to direct a live action film or something like that? And for him, it's not about that. It's not about like, quote unquote, graduating from from animation into live action. Like he kind of talked to he told me I can't remember the exact quote, but he told me basically like it's all about filmmaking. It's all about like, you know, composing, composing shots, you know, creating storyboards, like getting the timing right, getting the action right. um, And putting a film together like, you know, I, I just saw a tweet today. You know, you, it's like Steven Spielberg, you know, kind of getting interviewed about some thing that Steven Spielberg got interviewed about, you know, like 30 or 40 years ago. And he talks about like how like animation is the father of live action filmmaking. He talks yeah. about how like, oh, like animators need to know uh, th- the quote is like, you know, they need to know how a chipmunk rolls into, into like a, a bank of snow or whatever, because they need to paint every every motion of like that of that chipmunk rolling over and over and over across 12 cells per second. You know, th- this is Steven Spielberg. Like Steven Spielberg gets it. Why can't anybody else get it?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just, and again, like, you know, I, I talk to folks in the comics world who say very similar things where it's just like, you know, they're not trying to storyboard Marvel movies 10 years from now. They're trying to do something in a format that you can uniquely only accomplish in that. You can do things in animation that you cannot do in live action, and that's what makes it very cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I it's it's not for nothing, but like, you know, a lot of these the conversations that are happening sort of in the in the, the film and TV animated world are probably also happening, you know, sort of at the same time in the, the VFX animation world, yeah. right? Like we're, we're hearing a lot about sort of like in these, you know, video effects workers on uh, like these Marvel movies, like, you know, talking about like their li- like labor issues, like you know, from everything from like an increased workload leading to, uh, uh you know, sort of like a, de- like overly demanding schedules and, And to to like the product resulting in it looking bad, right? Like the product looking like not what a movie should look like and like kind of not adhering to, you know, some of these basic rules of filmmaking, like framing and and sort of making sure that like the stakes are and the editing is like looks correct and like looks and feels feels right. Um, You know, I think we're in a I think we're in a we're just in an interesting period where a lot of these you know sort of big productions are coming out you know start we got star wars you got all these marvel movies you've got like the dc the dc extended universe um all those require intense intense special effects like animators and you know th- those these two sort of these two sort of uh uh um practices are very are very closely linked yeah you know even if they're even if they're kind of not Not sort of going after the same goals, but... I mean, talk
0: about them being demoralized in animation because the work is undermined. Like in and, and the VFX crowd, they get a director who then goes around being like, "Ah, we we didn't want to animate this. We had to do this one real. And so this is all real stunts. And then the animators come back and it's just like, well, that's actually not true. We actually did a lot of work on that scene. And so you can see at the same time, they're just, you know, it is a, it's an interesting time, I guess, from a labor perspective on that. And I know that you've written a bunch on that. Um, I guess to that end, where can folks find you, Eric? Where can folks find your work? And, and what are you working on these days?
1: Yeah, uh, I'm, at, I'm at Vulture. Uh, my Twitter handle is uh, E underscore VB underscore. Um, and anything I write these days typically winds up at Vulture.com. Uh, so that is, that is me. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks for coming on. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Hey, thanks to Eric so much for coming on. You can find his work at Vulture and uh and on twitter um if you enjoyed this tell a friend about it uh it's always great to get some word of mouth about it uh, thank you to jt Thales for the use of our theme song and uh thank you for listening